The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard tells a story of thieves who break into a jewelry store. But surprisingly, they do not steal anything. Instead, they rearrange the price tags on the jewels. Unbeknownst to the owner, when he comes the next morning to open up the shop, the thieves come in, and the expensive jewelry is sold as junk, and they are able to buy it at a very low price. The junk jewelry, the fake jewelry, was sold as the pricey, expensive jewelry. Soren's point is obvious. We live in a world where someone has rearranged the price tag. The things that we value have been exchanged. That which we should highly regard has been cheapened. And that which is cheap is what we highly regard. And in this same way, we have changed the price tag on this thing called love. We have changed the values to which we hold to a high regard. Instead of what the Bible says love is, we have placed a greater emphasis on the superficial aspects of love. We hold to high regards the romantic picture of love without placing great value on character formation. There's a competition nowadays to see who has the best idea to propose to someone. And yet we don't hold to high regard how the couple has placed great emphasis on building up their spiritual walk with God together. We see it of great value if one knows how to gift give. The larger the gift, the more unique, the greater the profession of love. And we belittle the fact that the couple cannot give the gift of virginity to each other on their wedding night. We value wild professions of love on social media, which unfortunately hides the emptiness of that relationship. The values we place on love today have been mistagged. They have been misconstrued. When we talk about this thing called love, what values do we associate with it? How is it to be expressed biblically? That's what we want to take a look at this morning. You see, God has given us a great guidebook to love and romance and intimacy and marriage and life after marriage in this book of the Song of Solomon. As you've been with us in this series, we know that it traces the relationship between Solomon and a woman from their initial stage of attraction to their courtship, to their marriage, to the night of the marriage, to their first big fight. We begin this series by looking at attractions. And I propose some guardrails to know how do we can keep our attractions in check. 
Last week we continued to observe this couple and we saw how they defined boundaries and set up a boundary, this so-called six-sided wall of protection to guard their hearts and make sure that the relationship is God-honoring. This week we will talk about the values of love that they both commonly share as we continue to observe this courtship of Solomon and this woman. And then how exciting it will be when we next talk about this couple in two weeks. They will be married. But let's take a look at the values of love. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 8, to chapter 3, verse 5. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 8, to chapter 3, verse 5, as we continue our sermon series. For those of you who are taking notes, we will be looking at five things we should value in this thing called love. Five expressions of love that is biblical. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 reads this. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He is looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. From the context of this passage, it seems that this woman has returned back to her homeland. We're not sure where it is. Some scholars suggest it is Lebanon because it is referenced in chapter 3 onwards. But regardless of where her, her homeland is, Solomon has come to pay a visit. To visit her and her family. She is anticipating his coming. And so as one who is love struck and anticipating. She is looking out the window. Perhaps every day. Looking for her beloved to come. And perhaps off in the distance. She sees him. And she observes him. And notice how she describes his coming. He is leaping upon the mountains. Perhaps he is running to her city. He is skipping upon the hills. This is a man who is excited to see her. When he comes near, she says of him that he is looking through the window with anticipation. He is peering through the lattice of the window. He can't wait to see her. He is excited. There is anticipation. Now, I don't know how old Solomon is at this point. But whatever the age, love makes you young. He is described as a gazelle. He is described as a young stag. For those of you who have been married for many years, I'm not sure if that's how you can describe your husband. You may describe him as an old stag or just simply one that's not moving. Let me give you the secret of staying young. Rekindle the romance. Rediscover that love. Love will drive people nuts, crazy. It will make them do things they are not used to. And I can imagine the regality of Solomon the king prancing like a little boy, so excited to see his beloved. What they will then now exhibit is a series of values that is essential in biblical love. If you are not yet married, you are single, not even thinking about a relationship, 
You can put this in the context of your friends, those who you deeply care about, whom perhaps you love. And look through these qualities to see if that is the real love that the Bible talks about. If you are in a relationship and you say to one another, I love you, does your love match what we're going to talk about? If you are in a married relationship, can you use these five virtues of love as a guidepost, as a filter, as a reference to see if you really truly love your spouse? Verse 10 to verse 13. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree pulls forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grapes gives a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. The couple has met, and now they're on a romantic walk. Solomon says the winter is over, and here he describes a beautiful, glorious spring day. Everything is in full bloom. The birds are chirping. It is a picture of romance. And it really typifies their relationship, a newness, a freshness in their relationship. There is romance in the air. But more than a descriptive of their location and perhaps what describes their relationship, I see here a description of a love that is patient. You see, they are moving to a new season of their relationship. From the first time they were attracted to one another to the time we are reading about now, a period of time has elapsed and their romance is still growing. You see, their love is expressed in patience. They do not rush into things because patience is a virtue in love. And if you're taking notes, that's number one. Love is expressed in patience. Simply put, love is patient. Solomon says in verse 10, come away with me as he begins this little soliloquy. And then he ends in verse 13 with those same words, come away with me. There is a longing for them to be together, but they wait. They wait until marriage. They are patiently waiting. If we were to go to the New Testament, you would be familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 13 if I asked you what is a great chapter on love, often used in weddings. Paul writes about what love is. And do you remember the first descriptive word in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 on the list of what is love? The first one on the list, love is patient. Interesting. On this list, love is patient is first, as it is in the New Testament. I've often wondered why. But you don't have to wonder too long because we all struggle with patience. 
patience and waiting is something I struggle with greatly. I love my wife, Cindy, very much. But her making me wait for her as she prepares for an event really tests my love for her. I can't tell you how many times I'm alone in that car, crying out to God, God, why is she so hard to love at this moment? As you know, I live in the church. If I wasn't living at the church, I would be honking that car horn, telling her to hurry up. But I can't do that because I live in the church. So maybe living in the church is good for our marriage. But man, you know what I mean when you have to wait for your spouse or your girlfriend. This is one of the questions that I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven. God, why did you make women take so long to get ready? Perhaps God will say to me, Stephen, it's so that you can be tested to see if you really love her. Because love is patience. Women don't abuse this. But women, do you ever wonder why men take forever to do something you've asked them to do? Why it's taken them a long time to change their behavior? Perhaps that is also God's way of telling you and teaching you about patience in love. It's a phenomenon we all know that when you're courting one another, you don't mind waiting for an hour But the moment after marriage, you can't even wait for a minute. The Bible says love is expressed biblically in patience. It is something to be valued. Cultivate that in your relationships. Verse 14. Solomon continues, Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, Let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. This is a picture of protection and security. This woman is pictured as a dove high above the cliff, in the cliff, in the gap of the rock. She is fortified, she is protected, she is surrounded by sheer rocks. In that location, she finds security. And yet there is a plea from her beloved to come down, come out of the safety. Now, why in the world would someone want to trade a very secure place in her life or in his life to be with another? And the only reason someone will do that is if they can find the same security or even more protection in that relationship. So Solomon is basically saying, I can provide you that same protection and security. Come out of that sheer cliff face. Come, I will show you security and love. And we touched on this a little bit last week. She felt secure with Solomon. That's why she said to him, his banner over me is love. You see, we say, here we see the second expression of biblical love. And number two, love is protective. In other words, love is caring. There is a protective care that should mark your love for one another. But the unfortunate thing is that oftentimes we treat the one we love the most 
the worst, right? Perhaps because of familiarity, we treat the one we love, especially if we have been long into that relationship, we treat them like trash. There's no protective care. There's not even care. And you can see this, uh, perhaps in your mom and dad or husband and wives who care for each other when they get sick as the years of their marriage continues. I like this. I came across this. It's called the seven years of the married when one has a cold. In the first year of marriage, let's say if the wife is sick, the husband may say something to this effect, sugar dumpling. I'm really worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle. And there's no telling about these things with all the viruses and bacteria going around. I'm taking you to the hospital this afternoon for a general checkup and a good rest. I know hospital food is lousy. It's not good. So I'll, I'll bring meals from your favorite restaurants. I've already arranged with my doctor friends that you will get the best of cares. That's the first year of marriage. In the second year of marriage, if the wife gets sick, the husband says, Listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cold. I've called the doctor to come over here quickly. Now you go to bed like a good girl, and I'll take care of the house chores. In the third year of marriage, if the wife gets sick, the husband says, Honey, maybe you better lie down. Nothing like a little rest when you feel sick. I'll bring you some soup. In the fourth year of marriage, when the wife gets sick, the husband may say, Now look, dear, be sensible. After you've fed the children and done the dishes and washed the floor, you better go lie down to rest. In the fifth year of marriage, the husband may say to a sick wife, Honey, why don't you just go take a couple of Tylenol or aspirin? In the sixth year of marriage, the husband may say, Honey, I wish you just gargle or something instead of just coughing and spreading all the germs around. And by the seventh year of marriage, the husband may say, Oh, Pete's sake, stop sneezing. Are you trying to get me sick? Maybe you need to sleep in another room. I'm afraid to go on any further. I wonder what year 8, year 9, and year 10, year 20 looks like. Biblical love is evidenced by protective care. It's evidenced by a real desire to protect the one you love, to care for them. It doesn't matter the age. It doesn't matter the condition. You will take care of them for better or for worse, in sickness or in health. Perhaps this week, especially to the married couples, you could look at your spouse when they are not watching you and look at them and think to yourself, if my spouse ever gets sick, will I really take care of them? If they were to get cancer or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or dementia, will I take care of them? I don't want you to go home and ask your spouse that because you may not like the answer you hear if they're answering honestly. You see, the depth of love that the Bible talks about is not a rose or a flower delivered once a year. It's about a love that is so deep that whatever your mate goes through, the one you're in a relationship with, whatever the condition 
if they are disfigured, if they're suffering a debilitating disease, if they suddenly have no more resources, that you will stand by them. And you will love them with a love that is so protective and caring, just like Solomon calls her out of the cleft of the rock and says, I will take care of you. Verse 15. Solomon continues, Catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. For our vines have tender grapes. Now, what in the world is he talking about? You see, in their relationship, there were some undealt issues that they hadn't talked about. And Solomon wanted the both of them to openly share about some of the issues they had in their relationships before it blew up. You see, Leonard Ravenhill, and I love this quote, Love is blind. Marriage is an eye-opener. Isn't that true? Love may be blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. So to help you open up your eyes a bit, even before marriage, deal with those issues. Talk about them. Deal with them head on. You see, foxes in those days and in that area would go to the vineyards and they would nibble, they would eat the early blossoms, the fruiting vines. Now, as the owner of the vineyard, you could say, oh, it's just one fox. You saw him only for one night. It's not a big deal. But you see, left unchecked, the foxes or the fox comes every night, nibbles, eats away. You can't tell until one day you realize this vineyard is a mess. It's been destroyed. The little foxes in your relationships that spoil the vineyard of your relationship must be dealt with. Nip it at the bud before these problems can blow up. Pastor Tommy Nelson notes that little foxes may include communication glitches, unthoughtful acts, resentment or disagreement, colliding differences of opinion, unchecked passions. Be careful that you don't allow these issues to fester. And then before you know it, it blows up. If you're in an Asian family, don't sugarcoat the real problems you have, even as singles or as married couple. You see, as Asians, if you're going to live together, understand that oftentimes in marriage, you will live either at the house of the parents or they will come and move in with you. Have a frank discussion about that issue. Talk about how hard it's going to be. Now, you may think that I've got the best parents in the world. She's going to love my parents. You may have the world's best parents, but they are your parents, not hers. Talk about it before it gets too late. Share your dreams, share your passions. Share how you view each other role in marriage should be. Let them know what they are getting into if they're coming into a relationship with you. One of the early foxes that we had to work out out of our relationship vineyard was cultural misunderstanding. 
You see, when I was courting Cindy and asking her what she liked to do and what she loved to do, she told me she loved adventure. I said, wonderful. I love adventure as well. She told me she loved to camp. I said, I love to camp as well. Wonderful. She told me she loved the outdoors. And I said, I love the outdoors as well. I said to myself, Lord, thank you for providing such a perfect outdoors woman for someone like me. Thank you. Well, I quickly came to find out after marriage that definitions of words really matter. Because there was a deep, deep cultural misunderstanding in how we viewed certain things. You see, camping for her was going to the province and staying in a hotel. You know, camping is going outside of the city, going to a, a hotel and a far-off place. My version of camping was to pitch a tent in the middle of nowhere where there are no bathroom facilities. You can understand why that was a cause of conflict. For her, going outdoors and roughing it is having her driver take her somewhere and walking outside for 15 minutes under her umbrella, looking at the sight. My expectation of roughing it is hiking seven hours up a mountain. You see, we had a lot of cultural issues we needed to deal with. If those little foxes weren't dealt with early on in our marriage, I believe I would have walked away from that marriage thinking somehow I got duped. Somehow she lied to me. After 13 years of marriage, I've come around to liking her definition of camping. And as you can see, I don't hike much anymore. On a more serious note, it is important that you talk with your spouse, with the one you are dating, with the one in whom you are in a relationship with, about your future. Talk to them about children. Share with each other how you desire to serve God, what makes your heart beat, what gives you passion. Share with each other your dreams and your life's purpose, the expectation of roles that each of you have. Especially married couples, work out the foxes in your marriage as soon as possible because left unspoken and left undealt with, the evil one, Satan, will use those entry points into your relationship to tear apart your marriage. Now, why do we talk about relationship issues? Because when you discuss issues, there will be disagreement. But the resolution of disagreement is forgiveness. You see, it's not simply a matter of communication. It's easy for my wife and I to communicate because we're both very expressive. We don't hold things in very much. And if you are our neighbors, you know that. She gets historical and hysterical. I'm not as bad, but I do the same thing. But at the end of it all, the issue is, can you forgive the person that you are in a relationship with? 
Because in any relationship, if there is no forgiveness, then you are in big, big trouble. Look what happens after they have their little talk in verse 15. Look at verse 16 and 17. My beloved is mine and I am his. He feeds his flock among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag upon the mountains of Bether. They talk about their issues. They have a disagreement. They deal with the foxes in their relationship. And now they must decide whether they are committed to each other. Verse 16 is pretty obvious. They are. My beloved is mine and I am his. You see, we forget oftentimes that when we are committed to something, what underlies commitment is forgiveness. If you're committed to a ministry, if you're committed to a marriage, if you're committed to a relationship, if you're committed to a task, we often bail on that commitment because someone wrongs us. Because someone gets mad at us. Because things don't go our way and they don't take our opinion. Unless there is a level of forgiveness that underlies that relationship, then commitment will not last. Valuing forgiveness as an expression of love. And that's our third principle, number three. Love is forgiving. The very essence of love is forgiveness. Look what she says to Solomon in verse 17. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag among the mountains of Bether. You know, perhaps Solomon, still a little bit pouty from the talk. He's been hurt. Just quiet. Just kind of sitting there like a lot of husbands do when they fight their wives. Just kind of sit there. Sigh heavily comes up to him and she says turn turn around my beloved be like the gazelle the young stag remember she's connecting what she said in verse 8 and verse 9 when solomon came to visit her be joyful again you are forgiven we've forgiven each other we are committed to each other true love is expressed in forgiveness People who tell me they don't fight. I really don't believe. And if what they say is really true, then it's not a healthy relationship. They're not discussing issues that are pertinent in their marriage or in their relationship life. And they're simply playing the avoiding game. Relationships that mature do have conflicts. And we'll talk more about this as we study our Song of Solomon book. But everyone fights. Pastors are not immune from this as well. And if you are our neighbors, you can hear us fight. Because when you're angry, you just don't care who listens. We fight and we fight. But because we are committed to each other, we're forced to forgive. And let me just explain that there are times I don't want to forgive my wife. And I know many a times she doesn't want to forgive me. And we're almost forced to forgive. 
and we know we have to do it, but we feel that we've been wronged. But then we're reminded of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who forgives sinners like us with an unconditional love. And since we experience the forgiveness of Jesus Christ every day, can we not extend forgiveness to another? Christ doesn't call us damaged good. He doesn't give up on us. Look at all the people that have failed from David all the way to Peter, and the list goes on. He forgives them completely. He says, I remember your sins no more. And so if unforgiveness flows through your relationship, then Christ is not at the center of your relationship. It's hard to forgive. It really is. But the truest expression of love is not in a superficial card. It's not in a superficial gift. It is with deep-hearted forgiveness. Chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. By night on my bed, I sought the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. I will arise now, I said, and go about the city, into the streets and in the squares. I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. The watchmen who go about the city found me. I said, have you seen the one I love? Scarcely had I passed by them. When I found the one I love, I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into the house of my mother, into the chamber of her who conceived me. Solomon apparently has returned back to Jerusalem. This woman is still in her homeland. And now she dreams. That's where... We get in verse 1, by night on my bed. She's most likely dreaming this. And in her dream, she's looking for her lover all throughout the city. She's looking for every street that he could possibly be on. She's looking for him at every corner, every nook and cranny. She's looking for him everywhere. Even she asks the watchmen of the city who guard the city, have you seen him? And then in her dream, she finds him and she brings him to a place of security. Now, what can we learn from this dream sequence? This is one who loves and one who loves sacrificially. She is willing to go out of her way in the inconvenience of the night to go find her beloved. It's not like she couldn't wait until the morning. He is king after all. But she has gone the extra mile to show forth her love. So the question I ask you is, what are you willing to do for someone you love? Because how you express sacrificial love says a lot about your love. And that's our fourth principle. Love is sacrifice. Love is expressed sacrificially. What lengths will you go for the one you love? I like the story, an exchange between a girl and a boy. The girl says to the boy, do you love me? 
The boy says, yes, dear. The girl then asks him, would you die for me? The boy says, no. Mine is an undying love. Think about that. Undying love. And that's how we are in our relationships. I will walk the ends of the world for you. I will lay down my life for you. But when the rubber hits the road, the truth is, it is an undying love. I'm not going to die for you. It's, I, I like myself a lot more than you. I'm just supposed to love you. I'm supposed to take a bullet for you. I'm supposed to die for you. But in actuality, if you're honest with yourself, would you look at your spouse and can you tell them, I will die for you? You can say that with your mouth and really not mean it. Why am I stressing this point? Because later on, we're going to sing as a song of response, My Jesus, I love thee. Love. I love you, Jesus. I will sing about how I will do anything and everything for you, but when the rubber hits the road, that love bails. And I'm not willing to sacrifice my time. I'll only give you love when it is convenient for me. I will not give you love if it's going to cost me something. Examine the relationships in which you say you are in love. Then ask yourself, how far am I willing to go? In my love for Jesus? In my love for my spouse? In my love for my friend? Because if you are not expressing sacrificial love, then you are not really loving. It's a true story. I read this at the um, Associated Press Foreign Wire. A lady in Spain made the news when she chose a unique way to test her husband's love. With the help of a friend, she manipulated her own kidnapping and sent the ransom note to her husband. When the police discovered the kidnapping was a hoax, they asked the lady why she did it. She told the authorities, I wanted to find out what my husband would do for me. What a dangerous game to play. Don't get yourself kidnapped. You may never be released. Love is expressed sacrificially. And among the most wonderful pictures we have is of Jesus Christ, who sacrificially gave his own life and he stood in our place, in my place, in your place. And he really did what he said he would do. He would die for you and me. More than words, it is through action. And love is expressed in sacrificial action. Filter that through your lenses of love. And see if you really love your spouse. See if you really love the one to whom you are attracted to. Verse 5. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, 
by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. We've seen this verse before. We saw it in chapter 2, verse 7. They said to one another, Now is not yet the time to fulfill our growing passion and desires for each other. You see, love has boundaries, and those boundaries are set by God. And love is to be expressed physically in the context of marriage. And these two understand the standards and the boundaries that God has set. And therefore, they said to one another, Not yet. Do not stir up nor awaken love until it is time. And therefore, fifthly, love, true love, is God-honoring. True love is God-honoring. If you fear God, if you decide and desire to walk in His way, the love you express must be God-honoring. When you take a vow, till death do us part, a vow before God, do you honor those words? Because there will be times when you wake up and turn to your spouse so angry, and you say in your mind for a fleeting moment, I want to end this thing. I want to bail. That's it. The final straw. But then you're reminded of the marriage covenant you took before God. Covenant broken honorably only in the sight of God by death. Is your love God honoring? You see, the passionate love that we so revel in today, the 21st century generation has placed at a very high premium romantic love. But often that secret passionate love is driven only by desire. And once that desire is met, love is abandoned. No wonder so many have been hurt in the process. But that's what the world says. Value a man who can speak romantic words and words of eloquence. Value a woman who is beautiful. Value one who loves to give gifts and always remembers birthdays and anniversaries and in our generation today, monseries. Those are people we need to bring to a high regard. But I say to you, give me one who fears God and understands what God's view of love is. And she or he can forget all of the important dates. It doesn't matter if they remember dates and gives you really nice gifts if in the back they're sleeping with someone else. Do you understand? Love is God-honoring. So examine your relationships. Those to whom you profess love to. 
Is love patient? Is your love protectively caring for one another? Is your love forgiving? Is your love sacrificial? And is your love God-honoring? Those are the values of love that the Bible expresses itself in. You may wonder, why and how did you get these principles from the Song of Solomon? Maybe you're making it up. Well, go to 1 Corinthians 13 in the New Testament. Maybe you read verses 4 to 8a. It says the exact same thing. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast. It does not behave rudely, it does not seek its own. It is not provoked, it thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. There it is, sacrificial love. Love never fails. You see, God's standard of love does not change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. God's standard of love is the same. It is expressed through His Son, Jesus Christ. And it is the love that He wants us to cultivate in our relationship. Because in that love, you will find the most satisfying love ever. In that love, you will find a deep emotion that superficial love can never give you. And it is in that depth of love that you will begin to understand this thing called love. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It is a reminder even to me. I need to go back home and show some love. Not through the superficial actions, but really with lives desiring to be transformed, to show forth love as I need to love my wife. For those this morning who are in relationships that claim to be based on love, I pray that they would filter the words through the biblical love and place the right values on that which the Bible tells us to do. And in the process of learning about love, May we be able to say to the one who died in our place, I love you with all of our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name we pray.